This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Okay. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, been an interesting week, and it's going to get more interesting. We uh, lost a great jurist, a great mind, a great constitutional leader in justice, Antonin Scalia. I mean, this was the guy that defended the Constitution to the bitter end on the Supreme Court and had been continuing continuing to defend the Constitution for years and years and would have done so for, for more years if he had lived. Now he has died, and a lot of things could happen, most of them bad. Now, first, let's talk about the circumstances surrounding his death. There are already tons of conspiracy theories floating around out there, and I've never been a big believer in conspiracy theories. But by the same token, I like to have the facts. And the facts are not clear in this case. He was visiting a ranch in West Texas, quail hunting. Well, they had a party at this ranch for him on Saturday night. <clears throat> And uh, he woke up, or didn't wake up the next day. He went to bed fairly early, they said, because he wasn't feeling real well. And he didn't show up for breakfast the next morning. So they eventually checked on him and found him dead in the the bed. According to the the rancher, uh, the bedclothes were not messed up at all. He was just sort of laying there. And the rancher originally said that there was a pillow over his head, but then said, no, it was actually above his head, just touching the top of his head. But that's not what is a real concern here. What is a real concern is that no doctor ever pronounced him dead. This was done via telephone with the Justice of the Peace. The Justice of the Peace was contacted. Not sure who it was. Some people say it was the rancher. Some say it was a U.S. Marshal that arrived not long after Scalia's death. <clears throat> Somebody talked to the Justice of the Peace, told them that they thought it was natural causes, and the Justice of the Peace came out with a statement that said it was a heart attack and then changed it later to natural causes because there's no way for her to know it was a heart attack, no way for anybody to know it without an examination, without an autopsy. Now... This was the death of a high-ranking public official that occurred basically out in the middle of nowhere. There were no witnesses. No one saw him having a heart attack. No one called for help. No one examined the body who was qualified to examine the body and rule on the cause of death. Yet it was determined to be natural causes. Now, in the state of Texas, as in many other states, in this type of situation, an autopsy is going to be ordered by local officials. It's just standard operating procedure because this hospital, this, this death did not occur in a hospital. It did not occur while he was under the treatment of a physician, although he was being treated by a physician uh, back in D.C., the D.C. area, for uh, some problems. And... Uh, 
An autopsy would have been automatic. Now, it's been said the family refused the autopsy. Well, the family could have requested it, but I understand where the family was coming from. You don't want to have your loved one that you've just lost being laid out on a table and chopped up. And that's, that's basically what autopsy is. I know when my mother died and then my father died a few years later, both times we were not sure what the, the cause of death was. We knew it was natural causes because they both were pronounced dead. Well, one of them, my mother actually died while in the hospital, and my dad died on the way to the hospital. It could have been a stroke. It could have been a heart attack. But we decided not to ask for an autopsy because of that very reason. We just couldn't handle the idea of our mother and father being cut up. In hindsight, it would have been smart for us to do it. Not because we expected any foul play, but because we could have found out what caused their deaths and what how that factored into the, the risk factor for my brother and I and for our children down the road. In the case of the Scalia family, it shouldn't have been up to them. This, again, was a case where a high-ranking government official, a Supreme Court justice of the United States Supreme Court, died under circumstances that are not clear. So I wish there had been an autopsy and said they rushed to have him embalmed, which means that there can be no toxicology test that can determine whether or not he was poisoned. And I'm not saying he was. I suspect this probably was natural causes. But the idea that it's being covered up, or something is being covered up, sort of sticks in my craw. We don't need this kind of thing in this country right now. But here's what's going to happen now. The Constitution calls on the President of the United States to nominate someone to fill any vacancy on the Supreme Court. There's no timeline involved in the Constitution. It just says that the President shall do so. Then the nominee has to go through the vetting process. There have to be hearings in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee where the nominees ask questions. And then the Senate votes on the nominee. We know exactly the type of person that Obama will nominate. We have a very, we, we had a very delicate balance on the Supreme Court before Justice Scalia died. We had four pretty solid conservatives, although Roberts twice saved Obamacare from going down the tubes. So he was questionable. We had four solid Republicans, conservatives, appointed by Republicans, and four very liberal Democrats, appointed by Democratic presidents. And when I say liberal Democrats, I'm talking about justices who do not believe in the Constitution, who believe that they 
personally and as a body, are superior to the will of the American people. They are superior to the Constitution. They are superior to Congress. They are superior to the President. They do not consider themselves an equal branch of the federal government. They consider themselves the Supremes. They can do anything they want, they think. They can rewrite the Constitution. They can do whatever they want with the Constitution, and nobody can do anything to prevent it. You have four justices like that sitting on the court. Then you get the four remaining justices, Alito, Clarence Thomas, Arthur Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy, and John Roberts, <clears throat> who were appointed by a Republican president and would constitute the conservative wing of the Supreme Court. The trouble is, Kennedy... You never know what he's going to do. He voted to legalize gay marriage. Scalia wrote a scathing opinion about that vote, in which he said that basically five unelected lawyers from East Coast schools, because everybody on the Supreme Court is either from Harvard or Yale, they had decided that they were going to rewrite the Constitution to contain something that is not even mentioned in the Constitution. Not only is gay marriage not mentioned in the Constitution, marriage is not mentioned in the Constitution. Anthony Kennedy, who generally could be relied on to support the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution, the Tenth Amendment says that unless the Constitution specifically gives powers to the federal government, those powers are retained by the states and the people. Kennedy generally supported that concept. In this case, he went, he went right out the window. Roberts, we know, twice saved Obamacare single-handedly in two cases in which he could have been struck down. So we, we're not sure what Roberts is going to do. So it's not really four against four. It's four against two with two undecideds to basically eight balls out there that we don't know what they're going to do. So everything impending in front of the Supreme Court right now is in a very precarious position. Now let's assume that on each case, the justices, for the most part, controversial cases like gun control cases, uh, like the Obamacare cases, abortion cases, that the justices vote for and for. Well then, whatever decision is being considered that was made by a court of appeal, federal court of appeal, that decision will stand and become the law of the land. So we won't actually having, have the Supreme Court deciding how to interpret a law, or whether or not a law is constitutional. We will have a lower court do that, and the Supreme Court basically punt by rendering a 4-4 decision. In some ways, that will be good for conservatives. At the United States Justice Foundation, we've been heavily involved in the amnesty case. 
where Obama granted amnesty to essentially at least five million illegal immigrants in this country, illegal aliens. We joined with Texas and 25 other states in saying that that was unconstitutional. The president had no authority in the Constitution to do that, yet he did it anyway. The lower district court in Texas agreed with us. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals twice agreed with us. The case is now pending in front of the Supreme Court. If it goes 4-4, four four, if Kennedy holds true, and if Roberts holds true, then that decision will be allowed to stand. Let's take our first break, and then we'll talk about some more decisions after that. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As I was talking before the break, I mentioned that there's the amnesty case pending in front of the Supreme Court, which should be a victory for the state of Texas and other states. And Obama's clear unconstitutional actions of granting amnesty will be declared unconstitutional. At least the ruling made by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals will be allowed to stand. That's very important. But we were hoping that we could get get broadened by the Supreme Court in a ruling that dealt with more than just this particular incident of amnesty. That is not going to happen now. Another case that should have a good outcome at this point we're in the same situation where we were hoping that we could get a broader ruling from the Supreme Court than we got from the Court of Appeals. That involves also involves the state of Texas. Uh, the state of Texas legislature passed some restrictions on abortion clinics. Uh, I've dealt with abortion clinics for years. 
back in 1976, not long after I was just out of law school. I graduated in 73 and got admitted as a practice of law in 74 in Louisiana after I got out of the Army for active duty in the Army. And uh, I wrote a law for the Louisiana legislature that regulated abortion clinics because we literally were in a situation at that point that abortion had been legalized six years before. And the situation was just as bad as it had been supposedly in the back alleys. The clinics that were being set up, nine times out of ten, it wasn't doctors performing the abortions. It wasn't any kind of medical profession performing the abortions. There was no follow-up care given. The woman had an abortion and basically was told to sit in the waiting room for 20 minutes and then leave. We had women literally dropping dead in the parking lots of abortion clinics. So we put on what Obama's fond of saying or common sense regulations on abortion clinics. I wrote the law for Louisiana, but I patterned it after a law that had been written in Pennsylvania. And, of course, it was immediately challenged. And it was decided, the case was decided by ultimately a judge, district court judge in New Orleans, who later was was put put in jail for bribery and impeached one of only two federal judges in the history of the United States that were impeached. He was a Carter appointee, by the way. And, of course, he struck down the, the abortion, anti-abortion law, and the uh, Louisiana legislature, unfortunately, decided not to appeal it. But a lot of the, the same law was appealed in the Pennsylvania case. And for the United States Justice Foundation, I was asked to write a brief in that case. Uh for the Supreme Court, and I did so, and the brief was was hailed as as very, very well done, and as I recall, was one of the briefs that was quoted in the opinion. But in any case, part of the statute was upheld, part of it was not. Now, here in Texas, they have a similar situation in that women are dying as a result of abortions, particularly as they try to push the term where they can do abortion further back. And they want to do third, you know, third trimester abortions. Heck, their abortion clinics out there like Planned Parenthood want to kill the baby after the baby's been born. As long as they can sell the parts, they're happy with that, sell the body parts. But you have the Texas law, which essentially says it sets a time limit on when abortions can be performed. And it also very importantly says that doctors performing abortions must have hospital privileges at a hospital within 10 to 20 miles of where they're performing abortion. This is common sense. If they have a problem, they should be accompanying a patient to the hospital and they should be able to take care of that patient. The left doesn't want common sense. They want dead babies. That's it. Bottom line, dead babies. They want to be able to kill unborn children. They want to be be able to kill children after they're born. If you don't believe that's true, I asked a guy that in the trial who was testifying in the trial in New Orleans. 
1976. I said, what do you ultimately want? Do you want to be able to kill babies after they're born if the parents don't like the way they look or the parents don't want them? He says, absolutely. That should be the right of the parents, the right of the mother. That hasn't changed. That's what they still want. That's all they want. And they have a knee-jerk reaction to anything, even if it's designed to save the life of, of mothers. So this law has been challenged in federal court by Planned Parenthood, among others, and was upheld. Well, actually, I take it back. It was, up, it was struck down by the district court, but then upheld by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And again, the United States Justice Foundation is involved in that case. So if that case gets to the Supreme Court, and it is going to be heard by the Supreme Court, and Roberts and Kennedy hold the line and join with the conservatives, Clarence Thomas and Alito, then that law will be upheld because of the lower court ruling. I frankly don't trust Kennedy to do that. Not after his gay marriage ruling. But we just got to wait and see. On the other hand, there's other cases out there that, like the striking down of the case in Maryland involving gun control, where the court has ruled that there can be no control over assault weapons like Maryland wants to have because it violates the Second Amendment of the Constitution. That's one that's up in the air. One that we're probably going to lose that we just filed a brief last week on is the Little Sisters of the Poor. And that's the one challenging Obama, the Obama administration, of using Obama for using Obamacare to force religious organizations to provide contraceptive and abortion, in some cases abortion, pills to employees that work for them, even though it violates the beliefs of the organization, of the religious institution. They don't want to have to provide contraception. They don't want to have to provide abortions. They don't want to have to provide even birth control pills. If that's against their religion, that's their right. That one, unfortunately, and the Court of Appeals was decided against us. Kennedy, based on his past actions, we don't know. But say he sticks with the conservatives. Again, it's a four-to-four decision. So it's not resolved. Except that the Court of Appeals decision will stand. So those are the immediate implications. Other immediate implications are the fact that a lot of cases are still being considered by the Supreme Court as to whether or not they're going to take the cases, allow the cases to be heard from the Supreme Court. That's going to be altered by the lack of Judge Scalia being on the court. All of these are... are situations that we have to deal with right now. But here's the critical part. 
if Obama is allowed to nominate and the Senate approves his nominee to the Supreme Court, we know it is going to be a far-left nominee, and it will alter the Supreme Court possibly for generations. We are in danger of losing our Second Amendment rights, of losing our First Amendment rights to freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, losing our rights to due process under the Fifth Amendment, losing our rights under the Fourth Amendment to be protected from illegal searches and seizures, to seeing Obama run wild with executive orders, climate control, on the amnesty, we're going to have illegals basically all declared legal. This will happen if Obama is allowed to nominate a Supreme Court justice. <clears throat> now, your liberals, and I didn't know about the, the death of Scalia, obviously, when I wrote the article, but I wrote an article a couple weeks ago on my blog at www.michaelconnellacconnell.jigsy.com called Liberal Hypocrisy. Go read that article. I think you'll enjoy it. It talks about the, the fact that you know liberals are, say, are very fond of telling us that we cannot declare that Muslims, the Muslim religion is bad because a few Muslims, there's more than just a few, believe me, are out killing infidels, murdering innocent people. But by the same token, they're telling us that the NRA is responsible for all of the mass shootings in this country, even the ones committed by a terrorist. The NRA is responsible for that, even though no member of the NRA has ever been identified as participating in one of these. But that's liberal hypocrisy. So how's that playing out in the Supreme Court case? Well, Harry Reid comes out and, you know, in his sanctimonious way, uh, says that, that it is unconscionable that the uh, Mitch McConnell would say that they are not even going to consider a, an Obama nominee for the Supreme Court, that the next Supreme Court justice should be appointed after the election in November, by the next president of the United States. And Obama comes out and condemns this. The national news media has come out and condemned this. Harry Reid comes out and condemns this. And then on Fox News, they played some sound bites last night of Harry Reid and Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, all the their United States senators, coming out in the administration of George Bush, George W. Bush, and saying, we will never allow George W. Bush to appoint another Supreme Court justice. One potential appointee by George Bush, Hispanic justice. Two years. They held it up for two solid years. But finally, they had to withdraw the nomination in order to get anybody appointed. Justices and judges of the lower courts 
were not appointed by George Bush because the Democrats would not allow their names to even brought before the Senate, the Senate for a vote. Let's take our second break now, and we'll come back to this. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF. A nonprofit organization is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. When Democrats took control of the Senate during the George W. Bush administration, they almost immediately adopted a new set of rules that no judicial nominee made by President Bush could be brought to the floor of the Senate to be voted on unless there were 60 vote majority of the Senate agreed to it. Because of the makeup of the Senate, they couldn't happen. Not because of them, because all the Democrats would vote against allowing that to happen. First of all, that is hypocrisy. That is unconstitutional. That is the so-called filibuster rule, which is not in the Constitution, at least not the way it is written now. The idea of the filibuster was a long-standing tradition in the Senate, but not really in the Constitution, not mentioned in the Constitution. The Constitution requires the Senate to vote on approving of presidential appointees and on legislation. It sets up a majority vote. The Senate has tinkered with the rules on this for years, and the Democrats decided that no judicial appointment by George W. Bush was going to make it through. And people like Charles Schumer said, we will never allow George Bush to appoint another judge. And Harry Reid said it. And Hillary Clinton said it. And Barack Obama said it. All of them now that are being the usual liberal, liberal hypocrites, they say, oh, they cannot do this. This would be horrible. 
the Republican Party would destroy itself if they refused to allow Barack Obama to appoint a left-wing judge to the Supreme Court during the last few months of his lame duck presidency. Ladies and gentlemen, the United States Justice Foundation, we are already contacting all of our supporters and all of our followers and telling them to do one thing. Contact your senators and tell them, your Republican senators, to not vote on any to improve any nominee for Barack Obama for the Supreme Court. This is critical. We're asking you to help us raise funds to fight this because we're sending out faxes, providing faxes to people so they can send out faxes to their senators. We are going to be challenging as we have in the past. We've pretty much submitted testimony on every Supreme Court justice for the last 30 years that's been nominated. We're going to be doing the same here. We're going to be trying to stop this from happening. If it happens, like I said, our Second Amendment rights, our First Amendment rights, our Constitution is essentially doomed. So the proper scenario for the time being is to make sure the Senate follows up on his word. Now, you have five senators up for re-election, and the, they're claiming the political implications for this are going to be disastrous, that all five are going to be defeated if the Senate does this. I don't know that that's the truth, that all five of them are going to be defeated. But the fact of the matter is, we need to stop this nomination from taking place, from being approved. And we need to point out to the American public, number one, the hypocrisy of the Democrats who have done far worse in the past. And also point out to people, particularly in these states, where these five Republican senators may have problems, that they are protecting things like the Second Amendment. They are protecting things like the freedom of religion, the First Amendment, and due process because they are protecting the Constitution of the United States. That's not going to be easy to do, but it must be done. Because we, number one, have to keep Obama's nominee from being appointed to the Supreme Court, no matter who it is. See, the, one of the things that, that people have been talking about that I happen to agree with is that he's going to appoint Loretta Lynch, the current serving Attorney General of the United States, because she was already vetted by the U.S. Senate and approved by the U.S. Senate, despite the fact that there were a lot of people in opposition to, the, to that approval, uh, because she is a far leftist, she believes in strict gun control, confiscation of weapons from from law-abiding firearm owners. She is, believes in limitations of freedom of speech. She believes in abortion. She believes in, in no 
nothing being impeding illegals coming into this country and getting citizenship. She's a far-left liberal, but that's going to be probably the approach they're going to take. We can't let that happen. And in order to keep it from happening after the election, we have to do two things. We have to, number one, make sure Republicans maintain control of the Senate. And number two, that a Republican is elected president of the United States. And these two could be mutually exclusive because it's not going to do us any good to elect a Republican as president of the United States if we don't have control of the U.S. Senate and if Mitch McConnell allows this arbitrary rule to stay in place. I see the Democrats, when they took control of the Senate and then Obama was elected president, they changed the rules again. They changed the rules so that it only takes a majority of senators to vote on a nomination for a member of the Court of Appeals, Federal Court of Appeals, or a federal district judge. But they left in play the rule of 60 senators for the Supreme Court. That is going to stay in play, undoubtedly, during if Mitch McConnell sticks to his word. I don't like it, but that's the way it sits right now. If, however, we win the presidency, but don't not only don't increase our control over the Senate, but lose our control, we will have a president, Republican president of the United States, who will never be able to appoint a Supreme Court justice during his presidency. Because that's the way the liberals are going to play it. They will force the president to appoint somebody that they like. When Republican presidents have compromised in the past on appointments to the Supreme Court or to any of the federal courts and appointed somebody who was supposedly middle of the road, that person has always gone sharply to the left once they've taken the bench. It's just a matter of history. That's the way it's worked out. So we have to continue to control the Senate, increase our control if at all possible. We have to elect elect the Republican president. Because if Hillary Clinton is in there, or Bernie Sanders is in there, And we allow them to support, to appoint a Supreme Court justice. Well, in Bernie Sanders' case, he'll probably want somebody who will abolish the Supreme Court to sit on the bench and say, okay, we now have a dictator in the White House, um, President Bernie Sanders, who is a socialist and communist. So we are now abolishing the Supreme Court. We're abolishing the Congress of the United States. We're abolishing the Constitution. Sounds ludicrous, but hey, that's what the old man's got in mind. Hillary Clinton's not much better. Hillary Clinton should already be under the jail. See, there's another reason for appointing Loretta Lynn as a justice of the Supreme Court. 
because that lets her off the hook as to having to decide whether or not to indict Hillary Clinton. Because I think the FBI is going to come out and say that she needs to be indicted. And then it's up to the Justice Department. Loretta Lynn, if she's the Attorney General, will have to make that decision. If she's not the Attorney General, and if no new Attorney General has yet been appointed, then basically they could say, well, we don't have anybody to make the decision, so we're going to let it ride until after the election. So Hillary Clinton gets to run, run for president. And if she's elected, I guess the first thing she does is pardon herself. I think that's what Ted Cruz mentioned. But that's the scenario out there. There's really nothing good down the road unless all the factors fall into place. Hillary Clinton has betrayed this country. She has sold her position as Secretary of State to the highest bidders around the world. She has used her position to coerce exorbitant speaking fees for herself, for her husband first, and then herself after she left as Secretary of State. She used her position while she was Secretary of State to cover up what happened to Benghazi, to cover up what international terrorists were doing around the world, to cover up the fact that she was selling favors armament contracts, armament deals, other deals, to foreign countries on the basis that they would not only pay for the arms, pay the federal government or the arms dealers that they were dealing with, the arms companies, but they would also give a big contribution to the Clinton Foundation, most of which would then go to the Clintons for their expenses, for them individually. The woman is a criminal. No question about it. Yet we face the real possibility that she could be President of the United States. Do we really want her to continue the policies of Obama, which she will do, that have led to China putting surface-to-air missiles on islands that don't belong to them, have led to North Korea firing a test rocket, putting satellites in orbit. Let's take our final break. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. 
Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is Michael Connolly inviting you to listen each Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern to my show, Our Constitution, only on America's Web Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. One of the things that concerns me about this upcoming election, I'm sure it concerns all of you out there in my listening audience, is the possibility that Clinton is just going to steal the election. First steal the nomination from Bernie Sanders, and then with the help of the Obama administration and the Justice Department, steal the election from whoever the Republican candidate is. They've been doing it now for eight years. I mean, 2008, the election was won by Obama, but it was so bad that in 2010, Republicans gained control of the House of Representatives. That's when they kicked in their protection of Obama. 2012, well, prior to 2010, actually, it didn't work for him, but prior to 2010, Eric Holder told, basically, in a meeting of secretaries of states of the various states that was held in Washington, D.C., that they did not have to comply with the federal law that required that absentee ballots be sent out to soldiers from the various states at least 45 days prior to an election. This was so, if they were out in the field, overseas, they could get their ballots filled out, they could get them notarized, and they could send them back. Eric Holder told the Secretary of State, don't worry about that, we're not going to enforce that law. And in certain states, certain blue states or purple states, they didn't send them out. This played out to a small extent in 2010, but in 2012, when Obama was up for re-election, there were as many as one million votes not counted around the country. Actually, I think it's closer to five or six million votes. 100,000 in the state of Ohio alone. 100,000 military ballots not counted because they didn't get them in time. So that election was essentially stolen because we all had all kinds of other voting irregularities. 
Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton are capable of doing anything to win an election. And Obama is capable of assisting them. Now, some other possible scenarios here, though. If it looks like Bernie Sanders might win the nomination, will Obama decide that that's a good thing, that he will continue his legacy and go even further overboard and push us into communism and socialism? Possibly. But Obama may also look at Bernie Sanders as somebody who, because of his far-left views, may not be able to win the election. Obama wants Hillary to win the election because she will do what she's told and be essentially his third term. But if it looks like Hillary might lose the election or can be controlled if she wins, then Obama will gleefully throw her under the bus. He will allow her to be indicted. Her campaign will be over. He will get somebody like Joe Biden to run instead. Somebody he can control. Or there's a final scenario, one that concerns me greatly, because it's certainly a possibility. With what's happening with China, which what's happening with North when we look at what's happening with North Korea. ISIS, despite all the claims by the administration that ISIS is being beaten back, you have the director of CIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, coming before Congress and saying ISIS is going to be launching an attack sometime this year on the United States. And coming out and saying ISIS is growing stronger. <clears throat> they still control massive territories. They're now in at least a dozen countries around the world. So with ISIS out there, with North Korea out there, with China out there, with the President of the United States who is doing nothing to protect us, wide open borders, we're going to be attacked. But it's going to be as bad as my guest last week said about an EMP attack that would virtually bring this country to a standstill. I don't know. That could happen. We could also have dirty bombs being set off in this country or chemical weapons being used. We already know that ISIS has been using them in Iraq. We're not being protected. The country is in grave danger. If something catastrophic happens, I do not put it above this president to declare martial law and to suspend the elections in 2016. Now, he has no right under the Constitution to do that, but since when does the president ever obey the Constitution? He does have the right to declare martial law which basically suspends the operation of habeas corpus and allows him to do certain things to supposedly protect the country. Suspending elections is not specifically mentioned as one of them. But Obama's perfectly capable of doing that. 
are looking at very scary scenarios out there. And unfortunately, we're looking at the American people possibly going along with electing a Bernie Sanders or electing a Hillary Clinton. Simply because they don't know about the possibilities of losing the Constitution. Because they don't know what's in the Constitution. They have not been taught in the about the Constitution. Our students have been dumbed down for years by the union control schools and the left-wing control school, local school boards, and now by the use of Common Core. They haven't been taught history, or if they've been taught history, it's been revised history about how bad the United States is, how horrible we were, and how we are, we're the, every problem in the world is our fault. They don't know about the Constitution. As, as I've said repeatedly on this show and in speeches around the country, if you don't know what your rights are, you don't know when you're losing them. And that's exactly what's happening here. I did a show just the other day about the situation with the Supreme Court and the host was telling her audience they had to get a copy of my booklet, Our Constitution, where I take each portion, portion each section of the Constitution, each amendment of the Constitution, I put them down the way they were originally written, and then I talk about what they really mean. I put my short comments in there. It's been an eye-opener for a lot of people. People that don't know, for example, or were taught in the schools that the phrase separation of church and state is in the Constitution. It is not in the Constitution. It has never been in the Constitution. It came from a letter written by President Thomas Jefferson when he was asked by a religious con group to intervene. This congregation was having problems, internal disputes. They wanted the president to intervene and basically be a mediator. And he wrote and said, no, that would violate the concept of separation of church and state because the Constitution of the United States prohibits the federal government from establishing a religion. And he felt like that's what it would do. From there, it's evolved into something that we've lost control over. This is the type of thing we're facing. This is why I'm encouraging people to buy copies of our Constitution, not only for themselves, but for their children, for their scout troops, for their schools. Contact me directly through my website at, at uh, www.michaelconnelly.com jigsy.com where you can read about the booklet and about how to order copies of it. It's only $6 a copy if you order it online. But take me directly. You can see me get my email address and you can find out how to order bulk copies at very, very good prices to be given out to schools and this sort of thing. You can also go to that, that website and you can check out my other books that I've written, and order copies of them if you want. You can also order copies of our Constitution and the other books through the website of 
www.constitution.jcgidsy.com. Let's get the word out, ladies and gentlemen. Very critical. We're about to lose it all if we don't make sure things change over the next few months. Well, thank you for listening in. I look forward to talking to you again next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.